My rabbi doctor is a new one, I'll tell you the truth, not to anyone. But uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I, what is that to say, you know? Rabbi Schwartz, like, he really loves you guys. He really, really does. You know, I speak to him a lot. He really, really, honestly, and truthfully, to the very core of his being, cares about all of you. And he wants to see the betterment of all of you. And he's really dedicated. That's why, that's why he does what he does. Simply put, because he loves you. And he wants you to grow. And he wants to grow with you. And he just wants to be hidden with all of you. And there's no, there's no greater schuss than having a rav like that. Someone that, uh, that when you look into his eyes, you can just feel the empathy. You can feel the warmth. You can feel the confidence in yourself building up. Just by knowing that there's someone there that cares about you, that believes in you, that, that even demands of you more than maybe you would even demand of yourself. That's, that's the biggest blessing in the world. So, I think you're a doctor too, okay? We'll put it back on. You should be to be doctors. Like that. to be doctors. Alright, so let me share with you a few words. I'll tell you the truth, you know, growing up, so, you know, I went to shul. But I never really put much thought into, like, what a shul is. You know, growing up, you spend, you know, when you're, when you're young, you spend most of the time in yeshiva. And the shul is something that, you know, you go as a kid. And then when you get a little older, you know, and off Shabbos or something, you're in shul. You know, I personally didn't put much thought into it, with how, how important a shul can be for people and how central it can be for a community. I, I honestly didn't put much thought into it. But, uh, you know, the Rebbe has ways of forcing you to think about things. And so the past few years, I've been thinking a lot about what a shul is and what it can be. And um, so I want to share with you just a few, a few thoughts about, to me, what a shul is capable of being. What a shul is capable of being. And I think, uh, I think Bez Hashem, you know, Kaidesh, Kishmai Kainu, it's on its way to becoming that type of shul. Such a shul is a Mashiach the Kishul. So let me, let me share with you a thought. So it'll, it'll start with a, with a little Gemara, okay, so you bear with me, but at the end I'll tell you Maisa, okay, so but you have to earn it, you know what I'm saying, so you have to earn it. Okay, so it's like this. Mesech's Megillah, Mesech's Megillah is Mesech that talks about shuls, it talks about the halachas of shuls, all the different things that you're allowed to do in a shul, not allowed to do in a shul, all the halachas, Beisach Knesses, Beisach Medrash, all of that. And when you go through the Gemaras over there, it, uh, it hits you pretty strongly that there's a lot of severity when it comes to a shul, of what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. But the Gemara gives a line, a halachic uh, loophole, to sort of minimize the severity of the kedusha of a shul. And the Gemara says that, like sort of matter-of-factly, that you should know, says, says the Gemara, that all the shuls in Bavel, all the shuls in, in Bavel and Chutzlar, it's al-tanai he When they were built, they were built with a condition. The condition, when they were built, they were, made, they were made, they were built with the condition in mind that they shouldn't have the severity of the, all the halachas of a Kedusha's Beis They shouldn't carry that heaviness, that weight. It was built with a condition. That's the Gemara says. And because it was built with such a condition, fine. So then the shuls of, of Chutzlaretz don't have such a, such a strength to them, such a tekifa, such a, a severity. That's the Gemara. Now, Taisus over there, Amongst many Rishonim, point out that why does the Gemara make this observation only about shuls and chutzlarts? What about shuls in Eretz Yisrael? 
Was this just a historical phenomenon that it was in Chutzlarts that contractors in Chutzlarts had this idea of building shuls on a condition that they shouldn't carry the severity of the classic Kedusha space Aknesses? Like, what is that? So Taisvis and amongst many Rishonim say the following idea. They know this is not just a coincidence. The only way to build a shul with such a condition that it shouldn't carry the weight and the heaviness of the halachas of Kedusha's Beis HaKnesis in full is only possible in Chutzlarts. Why? So says Taisvis, the reason is, is because Beis HaShem when Mashiach comes, so the community is going to move to Eretz Yisrael, the shul will be left behind, and the Kedusha of the shul will will be no longer. And so, says Taisvis, whenever you have a shul in Chutzlarts, already it's not a Kedusha that's forever. So once it's already a Kedusha that's not forever, it's not fully baked in to that place, okay, so then you can manip- manipulate it and, and lessen it even further by building it with a condition. But says Taisus, but, but a Besaknesis in Eretz Yisrael, which is forever, the Kedusha is never going to leave. So then there's nothing, when, when a shul is being built in Eretz Yisrael, there's no crack in the armor, you know, there's no, there's no weakness in the Kedusha to begin with to then make a condition upon it to even lessen it more. When you're dealing with a shul in Chutzlar, it's that from the very beginning there's a weakness to it because it's not going to be forever. So then you could add an additional condition to make it even less. That's Taisus. So the Achrayim ask a very obvious question. The next daf in the Gemara Megillah brings down a famous Chazal that when Mashiach comes, I see them called about the Knesset, about the Midrash of Abavel, that when Mashiach comes, when the Jewish communities move to Eretz Yisrael, what's going to come with us are the shuls. That the shuls are going to come with us. And the Gemara makes it, from the context of the Gemara, it's clear that this is not just a, a symbolic thing. This is real. Like the stones and the bricks and the chairs and the ta- everything of the shul is literally going to be picked up and moved to Eretz Yisrael. So ask the Magen of Ram and many Achrenim the obvious question. I don't understand. Taisus, you're telling me that shuls and chutzlarts are able to be made with a condition to lessen its severity. Why? Because from the very beginning there's a weakness in its Kedusha because it's not going to be forever. Why is it not forever? Because when Mashiach comes, the shul is going to be left behind. And the shul is going to be lose, lose its kedusha. What, is, what are you talking about? When Mashiach comes, the shul is going to come with us. So just as a shul in Eretz Yisrael always retains its kedusha forever, so a shul in Chutzar also, also always retains its kedusha forever because it's going to be transplanted to Eretz Yisrael. So what are you talking about? That a shul in Chutzar is not forever. It will lose its kedusha. That's not true. It will just move to Eretz Yisrael with us. That's the question. There's another question, you know, there's a, a Gemara Bometziah that says a fantastic thing. The Gemara says that Reb Zera, in the Gemara we find this, that there were Amaroyim that lived in Babel, and their Amaroyim lived in Eretz Yisrael, and then there were Amaroyim that they spent their time traveling back and forth. <clears throat> so the Gemara says in Isa that Reb Zera was from Chutzlars, he's from Babel, and he decided he was going to move to Eretz Yisrael. The Gemara says that Reb Zera fasted 40 days in order that he should forget Talmud Bavli, to allow him to then learn Talmud Yerushalm. That's the Gemara. Okay? It's an interesting thing, to fast in order to forget. The Achorinim ask a question. One of the mitzvahs in the Torah, according to many Rishonim, there's a prohibition of forgetting your learning. Right? Everyone knows there are certain things that, you're, that you do, that you're not supposed to do, because it's like kashal shechah, right? It makes you forget. And there are certain things that you can do to enhance your memory. You're not supposed to forget your learning. You're supposed to do everything you can to make sure you retain your learning. So what is Rebbe doing? He's fasting. It's one thing, listen, if you don't chaza, you'll forget. I get it. But Rebbe is fasting in order to forget his learning. You're not allowed to forget your learning. So what's he doing? He's fasting in order to forget. 
Okay. So here's the idea. There's a concept that we find in the Sifr Chassidus, and Chabad Chassidus in particular, this is spoken about a lot, which is as follows, that the way the Rabbana made the world is that things constantly grow. Things constantly grow. Whatever, however the Rabbana made something in the beginning, it always moves forward. It always develops further. But here's the observation. The observation is as follows, is that when things grow and develop and sort of take on new levels, it always is in one of two ways. One possibility is that the new growth is small, a tiny little drop, basically just like a little extension over what the thing was initially. So for example, you have a, a tree, a sapling, a little tree, so it grows and it becomes a bigger tree. It's a, just a bigger version of itself. Not this huge overall, it's just bigger and it's gradual. But then you have another type of growth where what emerges through the growth is not just a bigger version of its old self. It's altogether something different. Altogether something different. And whenever you have such a type of growth where what emerges is something altogether different than what was before, there's always that transitional period in between where the old falls apart and there's nothing left. And then from that almost nothingness emerges something new. So for example... Once the tree is planted, once the tree is grown and it's a sapling, then it's just becoming bigger. Nothing really new. But in order to have that tree initially grow, you take a seed, right? And you put the seed in the ground. Now a seed to a tree is altogether something different. And the Gemara tells us that the process therefore is, is that the seed goes into the ground and it becomes rotten, it falls apart to almost where there's nothing left. And from that nothing, now something completely new can, can emerge. Or the Gemara says, for example, with an egg, right, with a, like a chicken egg, where the egg is developed inside the egg, it develops into a, into a chick. So the yolk and so on, compared to a chick, is altogether something different. So says the Gemara Beitza, there's a moment when the yolk spoils and becomes nothing, and now that, the, now that the old has been dismantled, now there's something new that can come. But if what is happening, so in other words, here's the principle, if what's being grown, if what's being developed is really just a little tiny addition and a little tiny growth and a little tiny development, then you don't need to dismantle the old. But if you want something really new, something mechudosh, something altogether different, then the old has to be dismantled in order to make room for the new. That's the principle. So here's the question. What about growth in Yiddishkeit? What about growth in Yiddishkeit? Now, there is such a thing that when a person grows in Yiddishkeit, you can grow very slowly and step by step, and you're not really making any overhauls in your life. So in that case, fine. So it's like a little tree, just becoming a bigger tree. It's it's very nice. It's worth a lot. But what if a person really, really, truly wants to grow? And when it comes to really, really honest growth in Avodah Hashem, coming closer to God, then that person that you become after coming closer to God is altogether a different person. So really, true growth in Yiddishkeit is more similar to a seed turning into a tree than a young tree becoming a bigger tree. Because a person that's a tzaddik, a person that's an Eved Hashem in truth, a person that really allows oneself to be given over to Yiddishkeit and to embrace it and to really allow oneself to believe, that's altogether a different person than before. That's not a little bit better. That's not a little bit improved. That's altogether a Dover Chadash. And so here's the question. 
in order for that to happen, does one have to lose everything you had before? Because this is the principle, right? If you want to have something new, then the old has to be taken away. So if you want to become altogether something new, does that mean, like spiritually speaking, that everything from the old has to be taken away? There's a, there's a concept of like having you read the before and aliyah, right? But does it have to be to such an extreme? Does Ruchnis follow this model? That in order to have something new, the old has to be removed. So here's the idea. Yes and no. Yes and no. What do I mean? In Kedusha, the way Ruchnis works is that it's, it is necessary that the old has to be removed in order for the new to come. That is true. But instead of it being like a seed where literally it's removed and it's gone and there's nothing left and now you have something new, by Kedusha, there's a slight... One can, one can explain it in the following way. In Kedusha, the old simply has to be redefined. It has to be redefined to where it's no longer viewed as it was before. Let me explain. A person grows up from, right? So you grow up from, you go through the process, you go through the program, and you put on tefillin. Right? So you have our boy, you put on tefillin, years go on, you put on tefillin, Baruch Hashem. So you ask the guy, did you put on tefillin this morning? Yes, I put on tefillin this morning. Now what if a person wants to take the next stage, the next step in his way Hashem, and truly go deeper into the mitzvah tefillin? then what has to happen is that he has to look at all the... He has to redefine for himself what putting on tefillin is. He has to redefine for himself that until this point, I view tefillin as simply that act of putting on tefillin. And I did it every single day. I've been doing it. But in order to truly grow to the next stage, what does the next stage look like? The next stage looks like that tefillin is not just an act. Tefillin is not just putting boxes on your arm and wrapping it around your arm. Tefillin is a place within the neshama. Tefillin is a place within the Rabbani Shalom. How do I access that place? Well, the way I access that place is by putting tefillin on my arm. So by viewing it in such a way, I have, to a certain degree, redefined what tefillin means to me and I've taken the act of putting on tefillin, which I've been doing all these years, and, I've been, and, I, and I, I'm able to say now that I've never really done it before. Without having to stop putting on tefillin, but tefillin is redefined as a, the, the act of tefillin. The act of putting on tefillin, the physical act of putting on tefillin, has now been converted from being the destination, and now it has been turned into a vehicle to bring me somewhere else. And that's what it means to grow in Yiddishkeit. Growth in Yiddishkeit means that what I was assuming until now was the destination, was the goal, is now being converted into a vehicle and a means to get to a deeper goal. To that degree, you have what you've done subtly and with sophistication. What you've done is taken something that before now You've defined, you've always defined for yourself as it, and you've now and you now are able to say that side of what I thought it was is not it. 
It's not it. What it is, is a vehicle to get somewhere else. And that somewhere else is where I want to be. So the way of Yiddishkeit, the way of growth is, is that what was until now, it, is now dismantled. But the breakdown of the old is not this traumatic thing of where there's not much no tefillin left. What I thought until now was tefillin, I now realize wasn't tefillin. And what I thought until now was tefillin is now truly a way in which I could finally begin to put on tefillin. Or the same thing with any mitzvah that a person does. So for this side of the room, we like Shabbos candles. There's a way, there's a way, until now, a person views Shabbos candles as what? What is, what is mitzvah Shabbos candles? It's lighting Shabbos candles. It is what it is. But in order to get to the next level of Avedis Hashem, the old has to be dismantled. But to dismantle the old, it doesn't mean chas v'shom to not light Shabbos candles. But it means to redefine for yourself what Shabbos candles means and what the light of Shabbos means in your life. And to realize that, the, that what you thought until now was Shabbos candles, which was just the physical act of lighting candles, is not, that, that is not Shabbos candles. That is a vehicle, that is a means in order to get to a place that's called Shabbos candles. And when you therefore look back at your life of lighting Shabbos candles, you can say with certainty and confidence that I have both lit Shabbos candles my entire life and I have also never lit Shabbos candles in my life at all. And by doing so, you are able to sort of operate on both levels. You're able to allow yourself to move in Yiddishkeit in such a way where the next stage is altogether new, altogether different, without having to literally dismantle the old. Because what you've done is that you've turned the old into a vehicle for the new. And you've redefined for yourself what the old experience was. That the old experience that you thought was davening, it wasn't davening at all. That was a way in order for me to now come into davening. Davening is not a sitter, not saying words. Davening is a place in the neshama. But my way into that place in the neshama is through these particular words. So by, by, by redefining the words of the sitter as from being davening to being a means towards davening, that's called dismantling the old to make room for something altogether new without having to stop davening without having to stop that. This is what, this is what it means when Rebzeir, for example, fasted in order to forget Talmud Bavli. He wasn't trying to forget Gemara. He wasn't trying to forget Talmud Bavli. What he was trying to do is turn Talmud Bavli, instead of it being the goal, instead of it being the thing itself, he wanted to turn Talmud Bavli into a vehicle through which we'll be able to then experience Talmud Yerushalmi. And that's called, in a certain sense, forgetting Talmud Bavli. Because you're, def- you're changing it from being the destination, and you're converting it into a means towards the destination. That's called, to, to, on one hand, dismantling the old, because it's no longer the destination. But on the other hand, you haven't, you haven't dismantled it because it's still there. It's just functioning now as a vehicle for the new. As a, as, a, as a container for the new, as a vessel for the new. This is what the Gemara means when it comes to a Beis HaKnesses in Chutz Laaretz and how it's going to be with the coming of Mashiach. When Chazal say that a shul, that every shul is going to move to Eretz Yisrael, it doesn't just, it's, it's not just a matter of location. Oh, it's picked up and now it goes to Eretz Yisrael. It means 
that the shul is going to be redefined. Then until that point, during Golas, the shul is looked at as, this is something that's holy. This is the destination. This has a certain level of Kedusha. That's great. But with the coming of Mashiach, that shul, with its Kedusha, is going to be redefined for us, as opposed to it being the Kedusha that we are satisfied with, the Kedusha that allows us to experience the Kedusha of the Beis HaMikdash. And the shul is going to be converted into a vessel through which the Kedusha of the Beis HaMikdash will be, will, be, will be accessible to us. So what was until now, throughout Golas, seen as the purpose, the destination, the thing itself, with the coming of Mashiach, it's going to be shown, it's going to be dismantled from being seen as the, as the purpose, and it's going to be redefined as a vehicle, as a vessel for something deeper, for something new. For example, when a person learns the story in Chumash, so every single one of us, we know the stories, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, right? And you have the Yitzchak Mitzrayim, and Golos Mitzrayim, and this parasha, we have Truma the Mishkan, when Darizal learned those psukim, when Darizal learned those stories, he also learned the same psukim. And he also learned the same stories. And it was the same, same story. But, in, but the difference is, is that with a child or with us, when we read those stories, thus is thus. It is what it is. That's exactly it. It's exactly what it is. But by Darizal, those same stories, with all the ways that we perceive it, and all the imagery, and all the, you know, the cartoonish you know, pictures that we have in our heads from the time that we're little, a, a, a deeper developed person doesn't let go of that. And the goal is not to let go of that or to dismantle it like, it, like literally a seed becomes dismantled in the ground. But it's a matter of, of realizing that all of that is a vessel for such a deeper understanding and such a deeper experience in Torah. And everything that we have from our youth and everything that we have from our Messiah should, can never be taken away, can never be dismantled. But it, what it does have to become is converted into a vessel in order to receive something altogether different and altogether deeper. So every mitzvah that we have has to be redefined for ourselves as opposed to it being just the thing itself. It has to be redefined as a vessel for us to experience within that mitzvah something altogether different. Altogether different. And this is what I think I think this is what our generation needs more than anything else. You know, I, I've mentioned this to the guys in the shul side, and some of you are maybe new, whatever, so I'll, I'll do the same thing that I do with them. What is this? Tzitzis, yeah? Don't be shy. It's okay. Tzitzis, yeah? Trick question. No, it's not tzitzis. What are these? These are strings that we wear in order to give us access to a place inside our neshama that's called tzitzis. These are strings that I wear in order to access a part of myself and a part of my soul that's called tzitzis. And realize within that sentence, by doing so, what I just did is I took these strings, which until now have been assumed to be tzitzis themselves, and I've dismantled them. I've taken it apart. I've said that they're really not tzitzis. But I didn't take them off in order to do that. I'm still wearing the tzitzis, but I've redefined them as a vehicle towards tzitzis, as a vessel of tzitzis, as opposed to it being the thing itself. 
And that's again going back. That's what that's what allows a person to experience complete renewal in Yiddishkeit and in the mitzvahs without actually having to go through that process of literally the seed falling apart. Because all you have to do is redefine the mitzvah, the redefine the act that you are experiencing from being the mitzvah itself into being the vessel for the mitzvah. And what is the mitzvah? The mitzvah is altogether something transcendent, altogether something elevated, altogether something soulful. And that's what I think a shul can be. And that's, again, just go back, that's what, that's why at the one hand, Chazal say the shuls of Chutzlaretz will be transported to Eretz Yisrael and they won't lose their Kedusha. Yet Taisvis and the Rishonim make the observation that the Kedusha of a shul in Chutzlaretz is not forever, will be dismantled. The answer is, again, it'll be dismantled from being the destination itself, but it will be converted into a Kedusha whose very purpose is a vessel for a deeper Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael. So to one, on the one hand, the Kedusha will be dismantled from being the point in and of itself, and it will be turned into a vessel, into a vehicle. So it's there, but it's not the same way as it was defined until that point. And in a, in a certain sense, I think that's what every shul can become. Every shul can become a place that you didn't come together in order to realize collectively that we all just want to begin to daven. We all just want to begin to keep Shabbos. We all want to begin to keep mitzvahs. And, you know, sometimes you have a yid who struggles with Shabbos. And you have another yid that keeps Shabbos, Baruch Hashem. And the yid that Shemr Shabbos might look at the other yid and say, nah, that guy, he's not a Shemr Shabbos. But, but really, every Jew should look at themselves and realize that they've never kept Shabbos in their life. Yeah, they've kept the, the structure of Shabbos. But in terms of what, of that place inside the soul that's called Shabbos, Everyone is looking for that. Everyone's on the search for that. So everyone's everyone's just trying to everyone's just trying to discover Shabbos. That's what we're all trying to do. You know, one person is a quote he davens three times a day, and the other person struggles with davening. To to think of a person as some to think that we that a person has davened, yeah, you went through the sitter, you said the words. But in terms of, of truly experiencing davening for what it is as part of the as a as a place inside the soul, mincha is, is a part of the nisham. It's an, it's a it's a space in the soul, and in order for in order for you to access that place, you have to say the words of tefilas mincha. You have to go through the sitter ashrei and shmanesrei, in order to get into that place that's called mincha. But that but 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 for a Jew to say that they've truly experienced that place inside of themselves that's called Mincha, who can, who can ultimately say that? So, who, so, so none of us can claim we've ever done Mincha before. So it's the great equalizer. That's what a shul can be. A shul can be a place of where every single Jew comes into that place to try for the first time to daven Mincha. Yidin that have daven Mincha their whole lives and Yidin that never daven Mincha in their life could all come together and say, we want to begin to daven Mincha for the first time. Because again, it's about converting mitzvahs from their static, rigid, physical form 
and converting those those mitzvahs into vessels for something transcendent, something altogether different. And then everyone is on the same playing field. Because then everyone is searching for that place inside of themselves that's called Mincha. And even if a person feels that they've found that part of themselves, there's always more layers to that. There's deeper Minchas inside of you. And so we're all just trying to get to Mincha. We're all just trying to figure that out. We're all just searching together. That's, a, that, that's what I think a shul can be. And I think that's what, you know, this shul, Kaidish, and uh, amongst all Kielos HaKaidish, is a place of that desire, of that search, of that wanting, of Yidin looking at everything that they've had and being thankful for what they've had, but understanding and recognizing that all the Yiddishkeit they have until now has to be reoriented and redefined as a vessel for an altogether different, more transcendent, more soulful Yiddishkeit. And that new soulful Yiddishkeit is something new, but it resides within the vessel of the old. And the old is reoriented from being the destination and the purpose in the mitzvah itself, and it's redefined as the vessel for the mitzvah, the container for what the mitzvah truly is, which is something altogether different, altogether soulful, altogether divine. And that's the great equalizer of all of Yiddishkeit. So, I guess my collective feel is that this shul, you know, with all the shuls that we should talk about, to build those places. And I said I was going to end up with a story, so I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. You know, the great dynasty, one of the great dynasties of Chassidus nowadays is Bells. So the forebearer, the beginner of that dynasty, was uh, the Sar Shalom, the great, the great tzaddik of Shalom Belzer. So the Sar Shalom had a son, Rabbi Yeshua Daiv Belzer. Rabbi Yeshua Daiv was a great tzaddik. So the Maisa goes that when the Sar Shalom was Nifter and his son Yeshua Daiv took over, so the Maisa goes that in the town of Bells at the time of the son, there was a Dibbuk, there was a Maisa of a Dibbuk, of a girl, Olenu, that uh, was uh, possessed by, uh, by a Dibbuk, by an old, you know, Neshama that was, you know, looking for somewhere to hide. So these things don't happen anymore, but in those days there was such a thing. And this Dibbuk inside of this girl was saying the most foul things, and it was terrible. So, no, so they called the Rebbe to uh, exercise the Dibbuk. So Rishulayb comes in, and the Divik sees him, and the Divik begins to laugh and say, Yeah, you, we're not scared of you. Your father, the Sar Shalom, that, yeah, we were afraid of him. But you were not afraid of. There's nothing you can do. <laughs> so no. So, you know, so the Rebbe turns to the Chavr and he says, you know, Listen, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> there's nothing I can do. But here's what you can do. Make sure on Shab- this coming Shabbos, by Musaf, by davening, and by Musaf, on Shabbos, bring the girl into uh, the Ezra's Nashim. And we'll see what we can do then. Okay? As the Rebbe says. So come Shabbos. Musaf is about to begin. So the Rebbe decides, you know, he, he signals to them to bring the girl in. So they wheel her in into the Ezra's Nashim. And meanwhile, the, the Divik is making all the, these, the, making, you know, saying all these foul things. And it's a whole scene. And the Rebbe gets up to daven, to daven Musaf for the Ahmed. And the whole time the Divik is making noise and just and making a whole thing, a whole scene. So finally the Rebbe, by Chazar Sashatzi, gets up to Kedusha, gets up to Kesser. And as he's about to say the word Kesser, he takes the talus off his head. The whole time the talus was covering his head. The Rebbe takes the talus off his head, turns to Ezra's Nashim, and screams out, Kesser Yidmucha. And while, as the Rebbe screams out Kesser, the Divik screams out, The Sar Sholem, the Sar Sholem of Belz is here. 
I thought the Sar Shalom wasn't here. I thought the Sar Shalom was nifter. The Sar Shalom is here. And the whole the whole Kedusha, the Rebbe is going on. And the whole time the Dibbik is screaming, Ay, the Sar Shalom, the Sar Shalom. Until finally he gets to, the Rebbe gets to the words, Shema Yisrael. And the Dibbik is silent, and the Dibbik is exercised, and uh, the girl is, is finally healed. It's a Misa. So you know what the Tzaddik can say from that Misa? Every single one of us has a part of who we are that's the Yeshua which is a tzaddik, it's kavaldik, but it's not the sarshal. And we think, okay, you know, just like that Dibbik said, the sarshal is not here, the sarshal is gone. But all of a sudden, just like by that Maisa, by Yeshua Lev, when he got to Kedusha's Kesser, when he came to Mosav on Shabbos, then he found within himself the sarshal. So the same thing with each and every one of us. There's a part of who we are, deep down, deep, deep down, that's called the sarshal of Bells. And you know what? And when that Sar Shalom part of who we are is revealed and open, I, then all the Mazik and all the Dibbiks of the world don't stand a chance in the face and the presence of that Sar Shalom. Our job as Yidin and your job as members of this Shul Kaidash is that you have to find that part of yourself that's called the Sar Shalom. And if you can discover that part of who you are that's called the Sar Shalom, then everything of this world is mamish, nothing compared to that. All the minias, all the obstacles, all the hate saharas, all the diviks of the world, mamish fall to the wayside in the presence of the Sar Shalom. And in order to find that Sar Shalom, it's with all the mitzvahs, it's with all the learning, all the davening that you're used to. Every halach and shochan arach that we've grown up with, those are, those are the, those have to be, those are the only ways to find the Sar Shalom. But we have to redefine those things for ourselves as vessels, as kalim, as tools to discover that part of us that's called Sar Shalom. Not to be satisfied with what they are as, the, as, as just physical mitzvahs or static, static experiences, but to be converted into means, into vehicles, into vessels, into instruments to discover within ourselves that deeper layer, that deeper presence that's called the Sar Shalom. Shem should bless you amongst all the kiyos the shataka v'yishol to discover the deeper part of who we are through our davening, through our avayda, through our mitzvahs. And with that, we should talk about that all the shuls amongst all of Klai Yisrael should return to Eretz Yisrael. We'll be as called Tzedek Meherim.